You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. We'll start with reading some scripture that we'll reflect upon after. Luke's going to help somebody with a microphone now if they want to read the text that's up here. Scott, will you get that up when you get a chance? Oh, this works. Good. Anyone volunteers to read this? Thanks. Oh, here's what I want you to do. Too. When you get to this line here, pagans, switch it to Gentiles, and I'll explain why later. Okay. Now concerning spiritual things, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Thanks, Kristen. Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. We're going to spend the next few weeks in the, uh, I guess figuratively, in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. We'll still be here. But we're going to be with the Corinthians. Paul wrote letters to this city, to a church that was there. And I think in order to receive the fullness of the letter and try to apply it to our context, let's do some background work on Corinth so we can feel like we're there, work on the context and the occasion of Corinthians. So Corinth is a... uh, Next one. Now it doesn't work. I wonder why. Ancient city here. Cosmopolitan. Commercial city. With a diverse population. It's right at the center of a trade route. Between the Aegean and the Ionian Sea. It's heavily Greek. Has a rich culture has a heavy emphasis on sports for some reason. A lot of sports going on. The It's, it's Mean Games, I think it's called. Not the Olympics, like the second tier Olympics. In, 14, in, in, in 146 BCE, conquered by Rome and then destroyed. And it was generally abandoned until 44 when Julius Caesar refounded it as a Roman colony. 
Then a hundred years later, Paul shows up. So 146, it's destroyed. 44, it's rebuilt. And then a hundred years later, Paul shows up. The Corinth in Paul's letter is young. It's just a hundred years removed from its formation. Newly developing colony. And history is happening in Corinth. And Paul's church just happens to be in one of the greatest cities in the world. This is what's happening right here in Corinth. Corinth is a lot like Philadelphia. So I want to relate to it, right? Obsessed with sports, or today, depressed with sports. Um, And a colonial town, too, like Philadelphia is. Philadelphia is, what, 250 years old, something like that, right? A little bit older than that. Corinth's 100 years old. So you're even even getting, getting a sense for how young everything is here, too, by the way. And it's also along a major trade route, which Philadelphia also is in that same kind of a eastern seaboard trade route here. Paul planted the church in, in, in Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians, he's writing his first letter to them. We have two letters from Corinth, although we suspect there's a third one, too, that goes in between the first and the second that we have, but we don't, we don't have access to it. So this is the first one. And it's an amazing account for us as modern readers. But it is kind of like listening to a one-sided conversation. It's hard to know all the details, and we're faced with the, the, the drama of the interpretation. I'm not sure Paul knew his letter would be preserved and interpreted thousands of years later. And I'm certain the Corinthians didn't either. And I say this because they would be generally embarrassed by the things that Paul wrote about them if they were widely distributed. He divulges a lot, so it's a personal account. Now, some people do think Paul expected some circulation. I'm not sure how much he expected. But it's fortunate for us because we can learn from a city filled with its own problems, from a church filled with its problems, and be comforted that churches have generally faced trials throughout their existence, in trouble and problems. We don't know everything that's going on, but at best, so at best we see uh, 1 Corinthians, and this is a reference to 1 Corinthians, through a glass darkly. So the basic problem of Corinth is this. Paul's departure from the Roman colony set itself up for conflict. It's made up of small house churches, And there's like maybe only 150 people in the church. Some even think it was smaller than that. So just just to give you an idea, small house churches. This little church made up mainly of poor people, although they had some very rich families as well. And some of the conflict in Corinth relates to how the rich and the poor relate. They're getting into a season of conflict. There's a lot of diversity. Their cells have leaders like ours do. Some of those leaders are gaining notoriety, though, for their spiritual gifts. They have a lot of spiritual power. And there's tension then that's causing, and there's some division, too. Some dissension happening. Issues abound. There's sexual immorality. 
And when I say sexual immorality, that's, that's kind of a wild term, but it's like someone's sleeping with their mother-in-law, you know, that kind of thing, where it kind of messes up family dynamics. You know, word to the wise. Probably not. I don't think in any era that's a good idea. Okay? Like, that, that one seems pretty clear to me. You know what I mean? Like, that's, these kind of things happening would cause a lot of family strife. Um, those are sexual immorality. There's legal disputes. There's abuses in the Lord's Supper and their love feasts, which, by the way, we have one on Saturday, but there's a lo- they, they have love feasts, too. And the rich and the wealthy, they get to the love feast and eat all the food before the workers who come later to the love feast because they work all day, they come and there's nothing left. So there's tension there between the strong and the weak in Corinth. There's controversies about the resurrection, eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols, the question of ecstatic gifts. Paul's trying to get them back on track. And then there are people that don't respect Paul in the community. They've badmouthed Paul. And so when he tries to say something, he's already ignored and sidelined. But clearly there's still some correspondence, so he's not totally out. In chapter 12, Paul brings up those ecstatic gifts. Let's go back to the text. Those uh, charismata. And he begins by saying, he's writing concerning spiritual things. Now sometimes, this is a technical point, sometimes you'll see spiritual gifts here. But gifts isn't really in the text, so it's spiritual things, concerning spiritual matters. And he's telling them, I don't, I don't want you to be uninformed. This is a little tongue-in-cheek here because if anything, the Corinthians are very informed about spiritual matters, and sometimes um, they, they feel like there are authorities on them. So maybe he's being slightly sarcastic or tongue-in-cheek, right? because they would have considered themselves very informed on spiritual matters. So maybe Paul's poking fun here, asserting his own authority. The trouble in the Corinthian church is that they think they're blessed with special spirituality because of their own power and intellect. Paul is writing to reposition God as the one who offers the spiritual giftedness. And that comes to us as a matter of grace and love not talent or ability or intellect. And then Paul, after saying this, brings them into the fold. One of the reasons I, I uh, wanted... There, it says Gentiles here. Maybe someone fixed that. One of the reasons why I wanted it to say Gentiles, and it's the same term in Greek. It can be translated either way, and some translations will do Gentiles. is because he says, you were formerly Gentiles. You were formerly Greek. And now you've changed. You're part of the promise of Israel. You're into the family. So that past tense that he's using includes them. Very much sees them grafted onto the covenant of God. So fully in. They're welcomed in. Then he'll say this. He goes on to say, if you say Jesus is Lord, you're doing it with the Holy Spirit's power. No one can curse God and say they're of the Spirit. To Paul, these words are powerful and they offer outcomes of faith. You can't say them without the Holy Spirit being with you. Now, this is a debated subject in the New Testament, but one that's particularly important to Paul's theology. We don't know why he says, let whoever says Jesus, let Jesus be cursed, because if someone was saying that in Corinth, in Corinth it would be a significant affront. 
But he's making it clear that engaging in spiritual talk matters. And who you engage in spiritual talk reflects on you. And his main point is this. Some of you have a lot of different skills and gifts. But you all get it from a common source and a common author of these gifts. And they're for a common good. They're fighting each other over who's holy and capable and smart. And Paul's saying there's no reason to make those comparisons because even though there are a variety of gifts among us, they all come from the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. Same spirit, same Lord, same God. Paul is experiencing God this way too. Interesting little Trinitarian formula that Paul has there well before we have the doctrine of the Trinity because Paul is experiencing God this way. That gives me some hope too. They all come from the same source. They all come for the same purpose. The central verse is this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We're gifted for the sake of the whole, the body, the collective, not for our own advancement. We're gifted. Our gifts and our talents are used for common good in this church and in the community. He lists out spiritual gifts then. These aren't comprehensive. There is no comprehensive list in the Bible. But, you know, wisdom and knowledge, the ones that the Corinthians think they're particularly gifted in, the ones making them prideful, really, lists a variety of others. And then he ends with ones that he's particularly interested in, tongues and the interpretation of tongues, which is the subject of chapter 14. So chapter 12 is about the body. Chapter 13 is the famous love chapter, which you hear at weddings all the time. Then chapter 14 is about order and worship and tongues. There's a whole section here. Again, he concludes with the same thing. The same Spirit gifts us all for the common good, not for personal advancement. He's trying to end the fighting in the community about who has the best gifts, who's the most important, who are the most powerful and smartest cell leaders. And he's uniting them in a common effort for a common end, to a common end for the common good. We posture ourselves in the same way. We want our gifts and our talents to be used to a common end. And for us, that begins with naming the gift or gifts that you bring to this body that God gave you. I don't know if those spiritual gift inventories are especially helpful, but searching, you can use one if you want, we have them. But searching in yourself for the good you bring to the body is important. When we welcome in new members, we'll say, what do you bring to the body? You know, what are you going to share? What do you have? You know, for some people, it is, they, they have something to share and they know it, and others have to discover that. And part of Christian discipleship is discerning what, what, what gifts you have to bring to the table. But if you think your giftedness sets you apart or makes you special, remember whence it came. The same spirit that's gifted us all. Same God, same Lord, same spirit. Same place for the common good. Didn't come from you, it came from God. And it's not for you to advance yourself, it's for the common good. 
So our lived experiences give us different gifts. So pay attention to your life because your life and what you bring is not incidental. It's, it's, it's not just a happenstance. It means something. And God uses you in your life to offer us, to offer the body a blessing and a gift. God has worked through you and through your life and you bring something meaningful. You're a special part of the body. Hopefully we create a community that can extol your gifts and bring them to their fullest expression. Again, not even for the, your personal benefit, and I'll even extend this further, not even for, the, for this particular church's advancement either. Right? There's something even more common happening. So it's not even located just here. It's more common than that. But we want you to live your fullest self. Right? Your Christian discipleship and movement with God might even bless people outside of this entire context. Might bless your families, your neighborhoods, where you work, all sorts of places. And understanding that our individual giftedness is given for the common good, we create a worshiping community, which is what this is, that, brings, that helps us bring out our gifts fully. Our church isn't immune from the same kind of infighting and comparisons that the Corinthians were doing. Maybe we feel defensive about what someone's gift means for us. Or maybe we feel like we particularly need to express our gift very specially and openly. Like, our worship leaders lead for a, co for a common end bring the community to worship. Not show off their particular talent. You know, it's not a performance. You're serving. That's, there's a difference there, right? And sometimes you can get caught up in that. You want to do, and, and, and you get affirmation, people say, like we sang one of Andrew's songs tonight. Andrew's a great songwriter, and you get that affirmation all the time, you know, but like that's what you offer to us is a gift, right? You're not demonstrating how great of a writer you are. That's not the point, right? You know this. I'm not telling you that you don't. Just saying, that's how it works, right? You could, you could elevate yourself or not. You, you want to bless the body. That's even sometimes why we don't say who wrote the song, I think. But I think that's deteriorated over time. So I don't know how to change that, but moving with the spirit, you know. Or like I offer a message or I write things. I hope for the common good, not to demonstrate that I'm smart or want to make a point, right? For common blessing. Our cell leaders lead with humility, not, with, uh, not for the glory of their cell growing or multiplying or they're the best cell leader or something like that, but the common advancement of our cause. And we're also listening to other voices and seeing where other gifts are. What if we considered sexual and racial minorities and the voices they bring a gift to us? What, if, what do we do to nurture that and preserve it and care for it? We're elevating their voices in this season so that we can hear from them and their gifts are being extolled and named. What if when you participated in a church, you, you're, 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 you were dignified so much, you became more human. You became more fully yourself because of how the church nurtured you. That would be great. As opposed to uh, oppress, oppressing you and making you less. Lifting you up, listening. You feel safe here. Something new is happening in you. That's what we want. That's the kind of community we want to create. We do them a disservice if we ignore them or we sideline them or tell them they're causing problems. 
We want, to, we want people to be fully who, they're, who they are. It is then as if we are acting like our gifts are better than theirs when we sideline them, when we have different debates about them, when we ignore them. But we're working together on a common goal. Paul is seeing a, a, a community that's very talented and full of gifts, fighting one another, competing for power. Young churches do this. It's part of the growing pains. And we might even be experiencing that here in some ways too. The manifestation of the Spirit for our common good is what the gifts, the voices, the perspectives, the talents we bring are for. For this common good and for the greater common good. So let's consider our own giftedness. Do this or talk back. You can, you, whatever the Spirit put on your heart, you can share. But, but if you need a little more prompting, like what, what, what do you think you bring to the body? Or what does someone else bring that you want to share? There's a lot of different uh, ways that we can do this. So you can share for yourself or you can call out, um, praise someone else, extol someone else. Help us know who we are. And that's what we'll do for TalkFest. Does that sound good? Want to try that? Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.